Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Babatunde Omilola, a Nigerian who is head of public health, security and social protection at the African Development Bank. Babatunde, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Emma, for having me on the broadcast. So, Babatunde, you were born and bred in Nigeria. What did the young you dream of being? Uh, thank you for that question. I was born in rural Nigeria, uh, very close to Lagos, Nigeria. And growing up uh, in my rural village in Nigeria, I dreamt of going to school. I struggled so much, you know, to get into uh, school because at that time, my father was a farmer. His own father was also a farmer. So basically, I was born uh, in a rural farm. And the idea was for me to just uh, concentrate and carry on with the legacy of the family. But I was extremely interested in education. And of course, I put myself through school. Uh, I was in school. My parents supported me, actually, uh, because they saw that I was extremely interested in going to school. So I wanted uh, to study uh, medicine at, at start, you know, to become a medical doctor. Uh, but looking at the uh, poverty all over me in rural Nigeria and all over uh, some uh, uh, cities very close to where we were living, I felt I should be more interested in terms of um, focusing on how to support other people, uh, not only myself. And that, of course, uh, made me to be more interested and curious about uh, development, you know, and I became passionate about uh, international development. But of course, I started my career as an agricultural economist. I went to university to study agricultural economics. Then I was interested in politics because I got into the university uh, the same year that the freest and fairest election in the history of Nigeria was annulled by the military junta. This was in 1993. So I became interested in campus politics. Then I became the student union president of my university. And I was one of those people who campaigned vigorously for the revalidation of that uh, election that was annulled. And we fought the military regime in Nigeria to a standstill. And, uh, but of course, unfortunately, that democracy that we uh, fought for did not translate quickly into development dividends for people in terms of poverty eradication uh, in terms of uh, economic uh, growth and prosperity. And that made me to be very curious and interested and passionate about international development, development in a way that we can generate uh, great process, economic progress, social progress, but poverty reduction in Nigeria. And of course, that then led me to study international development for my master's degree and a PhD degree in development economics from the world-renowned Institute of Development Studies, University of Sussex, United Kingdom. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Babatunde, for that. So it's very interesting path. And you mentioned that you were involved in politics at university. So why, what led you to decide to pursue a career in international development organizations rather than in Nigerian organizations? Why didn't you become a minister, for instance, in a Nigerian ministry or a politician in Nigeria? Thank you very much, Emma, for this question. Actually, that was my dream. 
I wanted to go into politics in Nigeria after being a student union president uh, for my university, but also after being involved in the affairs of the National Association of Nigerian Students. And then I uh, joined the political party uh, around 1998, 1999, called the Alliance for Democracy in Nigeria. And we were rooting uh, for, for, for the party to win many elections in Nigeria. But I saw firsthand uh, serious corruption, corruption by the political elite, you know, at that time, but also corruption by some of those people in the civil society groups that I had worked with during the campaign for democracy in Nigeria. And that corruption made me to think twice about going into politics because it's extremely uh, very uh, dangerous at that time in Nigeria. I think it's still very dangerous uh, as we speak. So because of that, I felt I would not be able to contribute meaningfully to the Nigeria's uh, develop, uh, uh, you know, uh, transformation. And also a lot of Nigerians were living below the poverty line. And then I decided to pursue a career in international development with the aim of returning back to Nigeria and support the development agenda in the country. But somehow my career has taken me to more than 80 countries around the world, uh, in Nigeria, in other African countries, in Asia, in the Pacific, in Europe, in Latin America, in the Caribbean. So I felt, you know, that, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I have still been contributing to development agenda in one way or another, but in a way that is much more uh, beyond what I thought I would be doing just at the national level in my country. But I think what I'm doing right now, also working for the African Development Bank, I have been contributing significantly to Nigeria's uh, development, but also to uh, reducing poverty all over the continent and promoting social and economic progress. So, but then I will never rule out the possibility of uh, becoming a minister in Nigeria at some point uh, in my career. I think it would be a great honor to serve my country at that level when uh, such opportunity uh, arises. Thank you. Well, you've had a very successful career in multilateral institutions, in multilateral development institutions, and you led the African Development Bank's multi-billion dollar response to the COVID pandemic. What was that like? I mean, what were the biggest challenges you had to face doing that? That was a big task to do, but I was not alone in the task. Uh, I would give uh, a lot of credit to the president of the African Development Bank for the clarity of his vision in terms of how the African Development Bank should respond to the COVID-19 pandemic, but also for the entire ecosystem of the African Development Bank, including the executive board members of the African Development Bank. Uh, when uh, the pandemic was declared a global health emergency, the African Development Bank decided that it was uh, important for us to put some resources behind it to contain the pandemic in Africa. And that's why $10 billion COVID-19 crisis response facility was approved by the board, basically to stabilize African economies, but also to save lives and livelihoods, and also to lessen the social and economic impacts of the pandemic in Africa. The bank also approved a $3 billion uh, social bond uh, to lessen the impact of the pandemic, but also to make sure that Africa would do well. And this has been applauded globally. For me, there were a lot of challenges. One of the challenges was uh, 
building the capacities of African institutions and African uh, governments to be able to implement uh, the COVID-19 pandemic in different African countries, especially in terms of budget support operations for many African countries and our support to regional economic communities in Africa, including the African Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the World Health Organization Regional Office for Africa. So it was about building the capacity, engaging with all these other partners to be able to deal with the implementation arrangements for the COVID-19 response of the African Development Bank. But I can tell you very confidently that as a result of our support, by deploying rapidly development finance in different African countries, bringing together different partners to deal with all of these challenges, we succeeded greatly in Africa. And that's one of the reasons why the uh, number of people that died as a result of COVID-19 pandemic in Africa, it seemed to be uh, lesser than any other part of the world. Uh, officially, you know, less than 200,000 people, according to the World Health Organization, uh, died in Africa. You know, uh, so that for us, I think, was a huge uh, source of story because of the way we deployed uh, uh, financial assistance to African countries, but also how we build partnerships, how we ramp up support, and how we started early in the game uh, before uh, the pandemic uh, could escalate beyond uh, reasonable doubt. That's very interesting because you often hear that less people were killed in Africa because Africa has a, a younger population and the people are more resilient, their environment is harsher and more difficult. Do you think those factors also play into why Africa had less deaths? I think those factors are important. But those factors tend to um, show that uh, it was as a result of luck that, uh, you know, or situation that Africa was able to cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. I think it was much more beyond that. I think African leaders deserve the credit uh, that they should be getting from all over the world. Because immediately, even before the pandemic was declared a global health emergency, we had several meetings with the heads of the African Union uh, institutions, the regional economic communities, to uh, strategize and plan on how Africa would deal with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. As a result of this, we set up several committees, several programs, uh, and one of those committees was uh, the committees that helped us to come up with a vision, a plan, a strategy on how to deal with the pandemic. That, of course, led to the $10 billion COVID-19 response facility approved by the board of the African Development Bank to deal with the crisis uh, very, very early on to tackle it. Uh, but nevertheless, I would say, uh, you know, Africans are very resilient. We have seen that uh, over time. Uh, you know, that resilience is there. But I think uh, the credit, uh, it's beyond uh, resilience of African people or maybe uh, the population of Africa is a young population. I think it's about action. Africa, I think for the first time in the history of the world, uh, African leaders uh, rose up and uh, tackled the uh, challenge uh, uh, facing uh, 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 the continent and the whole world uh, by responding very adequately, very rapidly, but also by uh, distributing roles and responsibilities for different stakeholders, different actors, 
on the continent to act. And that, I think, for me, should uh, be uh, recorded as the main reason, uh, the number one reason why we have recorded uh, the lowest casualty uh, as a result of this pandemic. So in your previous role as head of development planning at the United Nations Development Programme, UNDP, you were responsible for leading the UN Interagency Task Force on the monitoring and implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals. Can you talk about how how do you go about coordinating such a huge, complex international effort? Thank you very much, Emma, for this question. Again, I would not like to take the old credit. I think uh, so many people were involved in the whole process of the uh, uh, the Sustainable Development Goals, especially in terms of transitioning from the Millennium Development Goals to the Sustainable Development Goals. So many actors were involved, many global leaders, many United Nations agencies were involved. My role at that time was uh, the fact that I led the United Nations Interagency Tax Team responsible for looking at the Sustainable Development Goals themselves, the 17 of them, the 169 targets and the 232 indicators to monitor progress and coming up with ways to monitor and report around the SDGs after all the intergovernmental negotiations have taken place uh, at the level of the United Nations uh, in New York. So I was based in New York at that time. Uh, in terms of coordination, uh, I think it was difficult, but it was also easy because my role was very clear. So based on that, I developed uh, clear terms of reference in terms of roles and responsibilities for all the other UN agencies and actors that were part of that interagency tax team. And as a result of that, we came up with what we call the SDG roadmap for the world. And within that SDG roadmap, we outlined six different things that the world should be looking at. One was to basically align the SDGs with their national development priorities and goals. Two was around institutional coordination arrangements. Three was around prioritizing accelerators that can be useful in terms of giving catalytic effects across many of these uh, 17 SDGs at the same time. Four was around financing and budgeting for the SDGs. Five was around data monitoring and reporting around the SDGs. And the sixth one was around communication and developing partnerships within the UN system, including also the multilateral development banks, the civil society, the academia, the think tanks, and all the different stakeholders around the world. By creating that roadmap, the work, the work became so easy to do with clear responsibilities, and we managed to produce the first guidelines on SDG monitoring, including for the high-level political forum at the level of the United Nations General Assembly. Thank you. So what do you see as the biggest challenges facing Africa today, and how is the African Development Bank working to address these issues? Thank you very much. I believe that there are many challenges facing Africa today. Many of these challenges are interconnected. They are part of also the global crisis. Uh, talk about issues around conflict, uh, talk about issues around climate change issues, but also a lot of countries are still recovering from COVID-19 pandemic. As you know, in Africa, more than 30 million people were pushed into extreme poverty as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So you have those challenges. So I would like to categorize 
the challenges into social, economic, and environmental challenges facing the continent of Africa. And for us at the African Development Bank, to approach this, we have five different priorities. One is to light up and power Africa because about 650 million Africans still don't have access to electricity. And so for us, it's about energy production, electricity consumption. It's also about dealing with climate change adaptation. And for climate change adaptation, we already have about, uh, you know, we are, we are planning to spend about $25 billion on this. And already $12.5 billion have been mobilized in order to deal with uh, the climate change situation in Africa. Now, secondly, uh, the way we are tackling the challenges in Africa, we are working on what we call the Feed Africa strategy. The Feed Africa strategy is basically to ensure food security in Africa. And you know, for the uh, ongoing uh, war in Ukraine as a result of Russian invasion, we already approved a $1.5 billion food emergency crisis for Africa in order to support feeding Africa. Third, it's about integrating Africa because we believe in regional integration for Africa, especially in terms of supporting the African continental free trade area. As of today, uh, you know, intra-Africa trade is around 15%. It's extremely low. So the bank is helping in this area. Fifth is about industrializing Africa uh, because, you know, we need to improve the manufacturing capability of Africa, add value to what is produced across Africa. And five is about improving the quality of life for the people of Africa in terms of health, in terms of education, in terms of jobs for young people, but also in terms of nutrition, addressing malnutrition, water and sanitation, hygiene, uh, doing all of these uh, social services that are badly needed throughout the continent. Thank you. Can you share any advice for students who are interested in working in international development in Africa? Well, I, I feel that uh, for students who are interested in working in Africa, first, they must be passionate about uh, the development of the continent of Africa. Uh, passion is extremely important, and they must also be resilient because there will be a lot of challenges that they will face. Uh, so that is also important. What is also very crucial is that they must be able to uh, generate all kinds of networks uh, to be able to do their work well, develop different kinds of partnerships. The issues on the continent in terms of development cannot be done by one person or one institution or one group of people. Uh, it has to be done holistically. And so any student who is interested in this must be able to work with other partners, with other organizations to be able to support the development agenda uh, in Africa. But more uh, importantly, the experience, the training, the expertise, the learning must focus on development in Africa. And I would really recommend students to learn more about economics of development, anthropology of development, sociology of development. I feel that students who want to contribute in Africa must have multidisciplinary background, must be able to combine different uh, disciplines, different uh, ideas from different areas together and intersect them to really address many of the development challenges in Africa in a way that uh, they can be able to triangulate the social, the economic, and the environmental dimensions of development uh, in Africa. Well, Baba Tunde, it's been wonderful having you at Yale, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you so much, Emma. 